The COVID-19 pandemic has now spread to another branch of the evolutionary tree. The San Diego Zoo announced that some of the gorillas in the safari park are sick with the virus, saying they likely got it from a zookeeper. Here's how interspecies transmission works, as well as an update on the vaccine rollout. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Jonathan Wozen, you're the biotech reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and you're also responsible for covering one of San Diego's gems, the zoo, of course. So what do we know about cross-species infection? How common is this? Yeah, it's a pretty interesting topic to dig into, and one of the few examples where both of my beats kind of intersected. But um, you know, I had a chance to speak to some local zoologists and, and wildlife experts, and in general, the rule is that the closer two species are in, the evolu- in evolution, in terms of their DNA, uh, the more likely it is that a virus can jump from that one species to the next. So, you know, we know that we share about 98% of our DNA with gorillas, so they're among our closest uh, relatives among primates. Um, you know, we know that gorillas can get Ebola, can get tuberculosis. Uh, you know, you, I was talking with a zoologist yesterday who said that when you go out into the field um, to study gorillas, you often have to get a, a TB uh, test in advance for that for that exact reason. So, scientists have suspected, uh, you know, from the beginning of this pandemic that this virus probably could jump from humans to some of our more closely related um, great apes um, and maybe vice versa, that remains to be seen. But this is actually the first example, concrete example we have of that happening to date. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do we know about the gorillas? Like how are they handling their infection? Can you explain like their symptoms? Yeah, so the symptoms as far as we know is that uh, about last week, couple of the gorillas were coughing a bit and sneezing and kind of, you know, breathing a little differently from how they usually do. Uh, You know, Lisa Peterson, who's the director of the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, which is where these gorillas are um, are living, um, said that these weren't big differences, but they keep a pretty close eye on on the gorillas so they could tell things are a little different. They seemed a little more lethargic, Uh, not too different, actually, from some of the COVID symptoms, uh, you know, mild COVID symptoms that a lot of people are, a lot of people are getting right now. So what what initially happened was one of the zookeepers tested positive for COVID. Uh, that person had no symptoms. It was an asymptomatic case, uh, but about half of cases are asymptomatic and they can still, these are people who can still transmit the virus. So even though that person had no symptoms, they were wearing a mask, taking other kinds of precautions, getting the temperature checked every day. Um, there was still that possibility of transmission. And so when they noticed the gorillas seemed, you know, not uh, as energetic or, you know, started having those those COVID symptoms, they um, did a fecal test. So took a feces sample, set tested that for the virus, got an initial positive result, sent that out to a veterinary lab that's run by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and then got a second positive result uh, Monday morning, which is when they announced that news uh, to us. And then you know, later to uh, the state and the general public at that point. Mm -hmm. And I imagine at this point, it's too late to, you know, isolate and quarantine the infected gorilla, right? Yeah. And these are animals, they they don't know that there's a pandemic or there's a new virus or that you have to... We don't know they don't know it's a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. (laughs) But, you know, I, I was talking with a 
a local conservationist who said, you know, listen, ultimately it's, it's one of those situations where it's up to us as people to take precautions because, you know, we know the things we can do to limit the spread of this virus. So, you know, there's a, a troop of eight gorillas at, at the safari park and basically what the veterinary staff and the care team are doing is they're just closely monitoring um, how the animals are doing, you know, with the hope being that if they keep, you know, eating and drinking and resting <laughs> kind of the way that you would if you had a cold or a flu or something like that, that they'll recover on their own the way they would recover um, in the wild. So there's no, they're not planning any interventions right now or, or treatments. Um, I know the veterinary team there is talking with physicians across the county who treat COVID in, in people to get a sense of what other treatment options might be if, if they need to go that route. But yeah, there's no plan to, uh, you know, do any kind of quarantining. Um, and these are our animals that, you know, interact and play with each other. And, you know, they're not going to keep six feet apart on their own. So, so the assumption is that possibly, you know, that the virus will transmit within the troop, but that, um, you, know, uh, you know, right now there are two that we know are tested positive, a third with some symptoms and then eight total in the troop, but um, that they hopefully will be able to recover on their own in the coming days in the next couple of weeks. Hmm. So it sounds like at this point, uh, the zoo expects all the gorillas to recover. There's, you know, no gorilla hospitalizations at this point, right? Yeah, no, no hospitalizations. And, and that's, that's the expectation. I mean, it, this is all uncharted territory, right? This is a virus that, uh, you know, none of us had heard about more than about a year ago, a little more than a year ago. So it's new to people and certainly <laughs> new to gorillas as well. So we're going to get, we're actually going to learn a lot right now um, at the safari park in terms of, you know, how severe the infection is. And it may be very mild. It might be how it is in people where, you know, even in people we get this really incredible uh, range of, of symptoms. Some people need oxygen. Some people end up in the hospital. Some people feel perfectly fine from beginning to end. So, you know, is that, are we going to see that same variability depending on age and medical history and in gorillas that that's unclear, but this might teach us a little bit about what is likely to happen out there in the wild um, where, you know, they're endangered, threatened gorilla populations and people, you know, coming into contact with those animals, either because of poaching or because of doing, you know, field work or tourism. So there's a possibility that transmission will happen, you know, out there in, in those wild environments. We might get a sense of what to expect um, based on what happens here at, at the uh, San Diego Zoo. Mm -hmm. And moving on from uh, the gorillas themselves, you also been writing about the vaccine distribution over the weekend. You wrote a story with Gary Robbins, kind of explaining how things have been lagging in recent weeks in California. Can you recap some of the issues the state is having in getting people vaccinated? Sure. So what's clear is that the rollout has been pretty pretty slow. You know, we got to the point where we have these vaccines very very quickly, but the rollout has, has lagged behind schedule. Um, you know, I think the latest numbers, and they probably changed a bit since we've looked, is that 2.3 or 2.4 million doses have been sent out throughout the state, but roughly only about one in four of those doses has been administered, has gone into a person's arm. Um, there are probably some reporting delays here, but we're hearing issues that range from uh, the vaccine rollout beginning during the holidays and people for, you know, whatever reason, not wanting to get vaccinated at that time. Uh, that may also include some vaccine hesitancy, which healthcare workers have 
the same way the general public has. Uh, there have been you know, complaints that the states and local governments haven't gotten as much funding as they need from the federal government to, to actually get this whole effort off the ground. Uh, you know, I've talked to people who are concerned that we may not have enough uh, people who are trained and, and able to give vaccines who have been um, kind of signed on to, to this effort um, and that we, we're not yet, we're just beginning to see the kind of, uh, you know, mass vaccination sites that, that you would expect uh, for, for um, what we'll need, what will need to happen for us to get to herd immunity where enough people get vaccinated, where you can help end the pandemic. So, you know, Monday, uh, yesterday, uh, you know, UC San Diego and, and, and the county and city of San Diego uh, partnered to set up a site at, at Petco Park, actually at the tailgate lot by Petco Park, that's going to be vaccinating up to about 5,000 healthcare workers a day here in San Diego. So that's the largest effort to date. There have been other smaller ones in the past, and there'll probably be more like this in the future. Um, so that, that that's probably, and, and so far it seems to be going relatively smoothly. Um, they've been signing up, you know, thousands of people and vaccinating basically everybody who's made an appointment. Um, but I, I think we're still at the very beginning um, and still, frankly, in, in what they call phase 1A, which is healthcare workers and nursing home residents. Um, the CDC just made an announcement around noon Eastern time saying that, okay, it's, it, it's time now for states that haven't begun. It's time to start vaccinating people 65 and up. It's time to start vaccinating people with pre-existing medical conditions. That's a huge combination of groups. We've got more than 400,000 San Diegans who are 65 and up and, and pre-existing conditions like, you know, heart disease, blood high blood pressure, um, obesity, you know, those are very common conditions. So it, it's unclear how quickly the county is gonna move in expanding vaccine eligibility for those groups. You know, or can they now go to, go to Petco with some documentation and get, uh, Echo Park and, and get their shots. That, that's unclear. Where there's actually a state, uh, you know, California State Department of Public Health um, is is uh, I think Secretary Gali Gailey is speaking actually right now, and hopefully provide some clarity on that. Um, so yeah, this this effort is still at a very beginning stage. It's behind schedule for some of the reasons I mentioned, and you know, at this pace, we're we're still lagging behind where we need to be to get as many Californians as possible vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And throughout the initial rollout, there's been lots of criticism lobbed directly at Governors Newsom and Cuomo about how a lot of effort was put in to prevent people with means, be it celebrities or rich people, to jumping ahead of line. And it seems like there was more emphasis on, you know, punitive measures rather than the logistics of getting the vaccines from point A to point B. Have you heard any of, you know, that frustration from within, you know, the people who are actually tasked with giving out vaccines? Or is that something that's kind of mostly in the, you know, the political sphere? Yeah, no, I'm hearing a lot of frustration behind the scenes from, you know, people at every level, people in the hospitals who don't have a clear sense of when that next shipment of vaccine is going to come from or you know, necessarily what guidance they're going to get from the county. Then you go to the county and, you know, they're waiting for guidance from the state and you go to the state and they're taking cues from the federal government. So it's it's this whole, and then the federal government is ultimately dependent on how many doses these companies can produce and how quickly they can actually make them. So it, it's this whole process, this whole chain. And 
I think at, at every level, there, there are people who are kind of looking to somebody else to help answer their questions. So that makes it even difficult as a reporter. And you can imagine people in the general public to get a sense that this is all functioning smoothly and that people are on the same page. So I, I yeah, I think that's all what you're hearing is, is real. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we look at the rollout here in San Diego County, uh, do you foresee any, you know, possible road bumps or things that may slow down as we move from phase 1A to phase 1B in the coming weeks? Yeah, I, I, there could be. There certainly could be. So phase 1B, I guess just to give people a sense, includes people who are 75 and up and eventually 65 and up as well. So there are kind of tiers that, there, you know, there are levels within the phases, but it includes basically older adults. It includes people with, um, I think, pre-existing medical conditions that put them at, at risk of ending up in the hospital or dying. Um, it also includes people who are what they call frontline essential workers, people who can't work from home because of their job and, and who are doing things like you know, police officers, firefighters, um, working in grocery stores, uh, teachers, you know, educators, people who work in, in childcare, so, yeah, I, I think one of the roadblocks, and the county still hasn't really answered this as clearly as we'd like, is, you know, how are you going to let people in this next phase know, hey, it's your time to get vaccinated? How are you going to let them know when and where they can get vaccinated? So there are other places in the United States where you can basically sign up in advance and say, hey, uh, I would like to get vaccinated when it's my turn. Here's my name. Here's my contact info here's my email, phone number, whatever, and then you'll basically get contacted when it's your turn and get clear information there. Um, I know Nick Maschione, who's our Director of Health and Human Services, has said that San Diego is planning on getting something like that up off the ground. It hasn't happened uh, just yet, but but I, I think that's probably going to be key. You know, I've, I hear about people contacting their healthcare providers wondering when they'll get vaccinated and not being able to get a clear answer. So at the very least, I think having a way for San Diegans to San Diegans who want to be vaccinated to um, indicate that and kind of get in the loop, get get that information so they don't fall through the cracks would make people feel a lot less scared and anxious right now. Yeah, it does seem like communication is key here. And, you know, it's a real challenge for or governments and organizations that historically haven't exactly been amazing at that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and I think part of the challenge here is that the information's changing a little bit every day. So, you know, last week we heard from the, from the state that vaccine doses, you know, even though the people who are first in line for vaccine are healthcare workers and, and nursing home residents, um, Hey, if you have vaccine doses that are going to go to waste, go ahead and give those to people in the next phase. Uh, you know, now we're hearing from the federal government, actually, go ahead and, and, and start rolling out those doses to people in that next phase. Right now, we can't afford to, to, to sit on those doses, especially if there are people um, in healthcare or elsewhere who um, are not, you know, jumping at the chance to, to get vaccinated. You don't have to completely finish the first phase. I think uh, Secretary Azar kind of compared it to you know, boarding an airplane where you don't necessarily wait for everybody in the first group to move on to the next. Um, so, yeah, I think communicating clearly, you know, answering that question for everybody, when can I get vaccinated? Uh, you know, I think LA County, they have a, a pretty good online resource that provides estimates of when people in different phases can get vaccinated. 
Uh, it also provides information on exactly how many people in Los Angeles have gotten one shot versus two shots of vaccine, how many doses the counties received from Moderna, from Pfizer, uh, where those have gone throughout you know, different hospital systems and, and skilled nursing facilities and et cetera. So, um, and those, those are all things that we don't yet have in, in San Diego. We don't have that dashboard that's being regularly updated. So, you know, in the same way the county tells us how many people are in the hospital, how many people have died, how many people are infected. I, I think people are expecting and kind of demanding right now that same level of info uh, around the vaccine rollout too. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Questions remain. Jonathan Wozen, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. It's Tuesday, so listen to the latest episode of Name Drop. Here, the UT's Abby Hamlin and Christy Totten interview Representative Sarah Jacobs. She was present at the Capitol insurrection and supports impeachment. Name Drop San Diego is available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.